Hello, and welcome to this edition of Life's Tough, You Can Be Tougher. Our first podcast was nearly three months ago, and since we started, we've had an impressive selection of inspiring guests and plenty of free-flowing conversation. I'm Dustin Planote, your host. This is a show about life and purpose. It's about the stories we all have. Everyone, when you think about it, has a story. Some stories may sound more riveting than others. That's to be expected. Not every story, after all, is the basis for a blockbuster movie or an HBO series. Yet when you think about your own story, the most important thing to consider is what you will do with it. Or, to put it another way, what will your legacy be? We're looking forward to another terrific show today with today's featured guest, Andy Andrews, a best-selling author and inspirational speaker. His books have sold more than 5 million copies. We're talking about 26 books. Quite an impressive number. Maybe we'll find out if Andy is shooting for a round number of books, perhaps 30 or 40. His newest book is titled The Bottom of the Pool. Before we begin, I want to welcome a returning sponsor, the POI Institute. The POI Institute is a private, luxurious, holistic detox center located in gorgeous Cabo San Lucas on Mexico's Baja California Peninsula. POI offers safe, medically-focused Ibogaine detox treatments for individuals suffering from a variety of addictions. Call the POI Institute at 833-POI-CABO. That's 833-POI-CABO. Or check out their website, POIibogaine.com. That's P-O-I-I-B-O-G-A-I-N-E.com. Be sure to tell them that Life's Tough sent you. Now let's introduce Andy. Andy Andrews is a best-selling author, speaker, and consultant. A lifelong resident of Alabama, Andy was 19 when both of his parents died, within months of each other. During the next few years, he recalls making one bad financial decision after another. He ended up homeless, as a result, sleeping at times under a pier at Gulf Coast State Park on Alabama's southern coastline. He also began wondering about the decisions that people make in their lives and the impact of those decisions. To find answers to his existential inquiries, he went to the public library and eventually read the biographies of more than 200 men and women, known for their achievements and, most importantly, perseverance. From George Washington Carver to Anne Frank, all of the people whose biographies Andy read exhibited a common action, a common theme. Each one had made a handful of critical decisions that led them on their path to prominence. They had not relied on random circumstances to define their lives. They had instead made choices. Andy recognized the essence of this approach as the seven decisions. He also used this knowledge as the basis for his first New York Times bestseller, The Traveler's Gift, seven decisions that determine personal success. Overall, Andy has written more than two dozen books, which have sold in excess of five million copies that have been published in 30-plus languages. Let's bring him on now, Andy Andrews, the professional noticer himself. Welcome to the show, Andy. <laughs> hey, Dustin, how are you doing? I, I'm telling you, man, I didn't have enough paper. I was running out of breath if you kind of heard me swallowing a few times. That's quite an achievement. You've you've, I, you've I had a lot I, in your life. Have you not just quit and give up? Hey, man, you know, if, if that that is the one thing 
that I cannot do. That is the one, and, and it's the one thing that I can do. I can take another step. Yeah. Right. You sure? And so, so I just, I don't know. I figured out early on that if I could discipline myself, even in bad times to take another step and to look at things differently, you know, a, a lot of life is like picking blackberries. If you, if you, and I was out picking blackberries this morning yeah. and it was very odd. It was very odd to me that, that you could pick all the ripe ones and then you could take one step and look at the same place you were picking and see more ripe ones. And mm. then you could move another step and see more. It was a, just a different view of the same thing, but there was more. Yeah. It's, it's all about perspective. So while our stories both have our own beginning, uh, I spent time in foster care as a young boy, and and so I can understand wow. what it feels like to feel lost when not having a mom and dad to help you on your journey. Uh, most people right. use that, and unfortunately, they don't use it to help get them to be stronger. It, it is, in many ways, it, it takes them back. You made a decision. You made a decision when you were, what, 19 years old, that this will not define me, that I will rise above. How do you find the fuel? Were you born with it? Like, What happens? Is this secret sauce? Does everybody have it in them? See, that was something that I was really worried about during the time I was living on the beach and in and out of people's garages. I was really worried about that because that was my question. You know, is life just a lottery ticket? Are, are some people just born like that? Or is there something you can do? Because yeah. I knew if people were just born like that, I was out of luck. It's Lucky Sperm but Club. It, like, it's, I, there's yeah. nothing I can do to change it. Exactly. But, I, you know, I thought if it's something they do, well, what did they do and how long did it take them to do it? And so, you know, that started that kind of search through those uh, biographies. And I, you know, I wasn't much of a reader. I was more of a field and stream sports illustrated guy. But, uh, you know, uh, it was explained to me. I was given a, three biographies by this old man I'd met on the beach and uh, you know, I always kind of hated biographies. I don't know why, but in school I hated them. Yeah. And he gave me these and I said, biographies? And he said, no, these are adventure stories. They're mysteries and romances and thrillers, and they're all true. And it was very odd to me. You know, I started reading them just because he had given them to me, but I got hooked on them. And it was very odd to me that I would see places in there that I go, wow, okay, that's the romance. Oh, well, there's a mystery. And then, oh, look, here's a thriller. And I knew that old man had put those thoughts in me, and yet I was still legitimately having those thoughts and using those thoughts to generate a, some kind of desire to read something that would lead me to something that would lead me out of where I was. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I look at, uh, so while well, you're already published, I have a book coming out uh, that's called Life's Tough, You Can nice. Be Tougher. And, and I find that through my own journey that I resonate best with people, not through my strengths, but through my weaknesses. And that takes a lot right. of courage to tell people. And I look at what you've done and you've shared with the world, not always the best of you, but the worst of you. That takes a lot of courage. How did you find that strength? You know, it, it, it was a process, Dustin, honestly, because, you know, for, there was a, a long time there that I, I really felt I had to, you know, measure up to what people thought was successful and, 
kind of measure up to other people's things, you know, and I, and so I did, I did some things to act like that and, and to kind of think I would be like that, but it wasn't until, I mean, I didn't tell anybody about the living on the beach and in and out of people's garages until, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, but it took a long time to even say that. That's courage. And, yeah. and so, but I, but I found that there was, there was a compassion that was offered, you know, in a general way from people that, you know, they didn't know me and, but, but you have conversations with people or you talk to people and, you know, you don't want to big dog it and say, yeah, I do this and I live here now and all like that because I still, you know, in my heart, I still kind of feel like that kid that lived on the beach that's cleaning fish for people and washing boats for people. And, and, you know, I still feel like that. And I think that fuels a lot of what I do. Wow. You, you go back, you go back to that spot. It, it's very humbling. Yeah. You got to be humbled early on in your life. And a lot of times, or many people are in about 70 countries right now that will be listening into the show that for many of them, they have not been humbled yet. So it is a message that says life's tough. You could be tougher. And I've heard from listeners around the world that say, well, life's not tough for me. And I go, wait, give it a day. You don't always yeah, know what's going to happen. Give it a day. That's right, man. We're either in a crisis, coming out of a crisis, or headed for a crisis. That's part of being with us on this planet. And, you know, if you're not in one, just get ready. Yeah, well said to that. So Anne Frank, uh, I read a quote this weekend that she said that no one has ever become poor by giving. What does that mean to you? I believe that there is a time in everybody's life, no matter if there are people that think, well, their life is not tough, or if they do think their life is tough, or it's, it's not been tough and they've been in a, you know, a bad situation. I think there comes a time. Now, I say in everyone's life, there comes a time in every successful life. And, and when I say successful life, I'm not talking about boats and cars. It has nothing to do I mean, with, with wealth. Agreed. Right. I'm talking about a successful life, you know, which you know, has to do with family and time and, and learning and just a lot of things there. But I find that there is a time in every successful life when that person comes to the end of themselves and they realize that there is no one they can call. There is no influence they can barter. There is their freedom or their forward motion with that they they are truly at the end of themselves and i think at that moment there is a shift in 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 our search for our purpose and i think that successful life is somebody you know part of it is being able to find that purpose and and i just uh, have a hard time believing that the purpose of my life is to, you know, have five houses or, you know, I mean, gosh, it would be nice, but yeah. then the purpose of my life, you know, I'm put here, uh, I believe to serve. And I have noticed in my own life that the times that I have been selfish or that I have been very focused on myself and not noticing 
the people around me. I, I helped a company do a, an ad one time, Dustin, that, you know, they wanted to show their, you know, their people. This was an internal video and it was a restaurant and they wanted to, to get into the minds of their people. And so we built a video that showed people coming into the restaurant. And as it, as it showed these people coming in, showed these people sitting there, we put words beside them. And these words were, you know, were things like is worried about the next house payment. Yeah. Another one, you know, by, you know, another one said, uh, his wife just left. He's worried about his children. Another one said, she just got the news. Her mother has cancer. Hmm. There's, and we put something on, on these so that the people could see you got to look at people around you as if they are your purpose on earth that, 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 you know, it's hard to believe, but there are people who walk around for years and work and go home and, and, and nobody is ever excited to see them walk into a room. It happens for years. Yeah, for years. And yeah. And you, and so you can be somebody, you know, that kind of, that kind of look on your face. Remember when you're in junior high school and you, you went to a new school or something and you, you went to the cafeteria for the first time and you, you got your food and you turned around and there's this sea of kids that you feel like they're looking at you and they, you, you don't really know any of them and you don't know where to sit. You don't know what yeah, to you do. Feel a bit, you feel a bit lost. Yeah. And then sure. there's this one person on the other side of the cafeteria that kind of halfway stands up and waves and, and smiles and goes, Hey, Hey, over here, over here. And you're going, thank you, God. That's thank a, you, God. that's a beacon. You know? Yeah. That's another beacon saying, Hey, I got a spot for you. I was sent here for a purpose. And, and that's one of the things that we talk about on the show that, Everyone has a story and every story has a purpose. And, and you've come right. to this place in your life that you're able to find your purpose by looking around you and you can find the angels that walk among us. I had mine. Pa- mine was Pastor Ed. Way. Yeah, Pastor Ed was mine. I was a foster kid. Uh, he used to come and visit me. And, and yours, I believe, was a man named Jones, an older man who found you living under a pier, that you had your angel. And, and yet so many people around the world, they, they look for these moments and I, and I would ask you, how do they find when they become anesthetized and they've become desensitized to the sign? How do they slow down and find those signs? I think, I think it, it has to be a conscious choice that you, you know, I, I told my son the other day, I, my wife and I have two boys, a 17-year-old and a 19-year-old, and and my 19-year-old was, you know, was aggravated about something he was going to have to do or something he was going to have to go to or something. And I, and I told Sounds him. Sounds like my 8-year-old always complaining. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right. Same thing there. And, boys are boys. Yeah, and I said, I said buddy, here, here is something that I think I, if I can just tell you this and you can just think about this. I said, there's going to be a lot of times in your life where you're doing things that you don't really want to do you know you'd rather do something else and i said but one thing about this that you're about to do it's happening you're gonna do it yeah. you know you're gonna do it and so you've got three days 
before you have to do it. And you can sit around and you can bitch and gripe to yourself mm -hmm. and be mad about it, but it's happening anyway. And so since it's happening anyway, why don't you start thinking, what are the benefits of this happening? I said, Austin, you have two businesses. Yeah, two businesses. You got business cards in both pockets. And you're going to a thing where you're going to meet totally new people that you've never met before. There's a lot of benefits you can think of, but we have to stop. Okay, you know, I know my flight was canceled. I know I got to spend the night in Dallas. This is not what I wanted to do. But what are the benefits? Can I look, can, can I see somebody who might make a difference in my life or somebody that I make, make a difference in their life? I got to spend the night in Dallas anyway. Who can I touch? So who can I? Yeah. yeah. Well, well said. It's, it is all about the way we see the world and the people around us. It's the people we run across in the gym and the grocery store. It's the kind moments, the kind gestures are, are, are given that dollar to get through a toll. And I think it might be up to like 20 now. But given that the toll money to make people's journey just a little bit easier, you know, I have one of the things I was thinking and tell me if I'm on the right track for this, that I've been thinking about the definition of evil. And I define it as this, knowingly and willingly making somebody else's life harder than it has to be and doing it with pleasure that that to me would be the definition of evil. <laughs> That's a good one. I mean, would it not? I mean, people around the world knowingly and willingly make others lives harder harder. Life's already tough enough when you have the stress of work. And, you know, one, one day I'm going to ask you, write the book for fathers. I'm a young dad. I have an eight-year-old and six-year-old. And I need someone like you to, to tell me how to find that balance, the things that you've learned, the best of you, the worst of you, to guide young dads, to guide people, maybe their old dads, to how do I get back on the path? You know, we, we talk about preparing our kids. You know, you're a dad. You're preparing your kids for the day that you're no longer here. The day right. that you can no longer give them the guidance and advice that you've given them just enough so that they say, my dad, my dad, Andy, he made an impact. How can we make impacts? Not all of us can write. Not all of us um, have such influence. How do we give back? You know, this is an odd answer to that, but I have come to this answer late in my life. Uh, I'm, I'm not that late. I'm 60, but man, you still got your you mojo know, about you. You're like a young 60 yeah, man. Yeah. I'm telling you. And, and so, but I've come to the, the, an understanding of this answer, uh, after years and years and years. And the, the, the answer, I asked me the question again, and I will tell you quickly the answer. <laughs> All right. So question for you, um, in life, the people we come across, the people that we run into, how can we make a bigger impact on their journey? What can okay. we do different? Even, yeah, even if you're not that that person that you feel like, oh, you know, that person has this, that person has this. Here's what you can do to make a massive difference, not just in those people's lives, but in your own life and in the world. And that is think. Just think. Just stop and think. Now, I'll tell you, that's an odd answer, but you would not believe how many people I have run into in my life that I have watched somebody explaining something to them or somebody, you know, showing a part of a book to them or somebody sitting them down to talk to them. Sat, you wouldn't believe how many people have yeah. seen my life that have said, you know what, I just don't want to think that hard. 
Yeah. And I want to tell you, I want to tell you something. It is it is a discipline to stop and think. You know, there's authors you and I both know. There are authors that you don't read their books anymore. Why? Because you know, it kind of turned into the same thing. Yeah. They don't think anymore. They wrote they their don't. first two books. They yeah. were hits, and so they just kind of. I'm redo telling them. you, Eddie, it frustrates me when I when I hear these books about what the what the most successful people do. What are their best traits? I go, tell me their worst. Tell me the worst parts. I want to know the things that keep you up, the things that take your peace. You know, earlier talking about common sense or or being to think to think that I always challenge myself with being the janitor, no matter where I am, that always making sure that I look for the things that other people walk over to pick them up. And I failed earlier. That's exactly, exactly I, I, right. I was at the gym and I failed myself today. There was a, a slightly used, I can only think slightly used, paper towel on the floor of the gym. And I walked by it because, well, I didn't want to reach down and pick it up and get my hands filthy. And I felt guilt about it on my way, way back to say, what would it have cost me to pick that up? Would I get a disease? What would really happen if I took my hands and picked up a towel, paper towel on the floor, threw it away and washed my hands? Now, someone else sees it, probably sees me and go, did you see him walk over it? That their takeaway of me now is that, that we must learn. We must use these moments in our life to look back and say, uh, do I really tell the truth to people? And I look at, you, you read that? 200 autobiographies, I mean, biographies. You must have seen stuff and heard stuff that go, I just don't think they're telling the truth. Yeah, you know, if, you, if, if you're going to read an autobiography, uh, you know, you better be careful you're not reading one of a famous person because their spin will be involved. And so, you, you know, really, I think the autobiographies are much clearer, much more reasoned. You know, they're written by somebody else who's looking at a life from a different view. And so, you know, I think, and I think that if it's a biography, people who are not famous, they tend to tell more of the truth. <laughs> yeah, that's it, right? They, they really tell you everything. Here's, here's what really happened. You can't lie to yourself. I, I think, you know, people, they, I, I, so I also do uh, a lot of motivational speaking and I hear people, they run away and you know, they'll, they'll move to a new state to start over. Go, well, who are you starting over from? Who are you running from yourself? Right, you right, think you're right. not going to follow. You think you didn't get on the plane or in the U-Haul. You're not going to come with, with yourself. So what are you going to do different? Which leads me into potential. What is the number one reason people just don't reach their potential? And does everybody have potential? Yeah, everybody has potential. And yeah, everybody has a gift. And you hit a major reason that people don't hit their potential. I always thought if Moses had had more time on the mountain, he would have come back with 11. And I think number yeah. 11 would be thou shalt not kid thyself. Yeah. I think, I think well more, more money and more time have been lost by people kidding themselves than for any other reason. And I, you know, you've heard Dustin, I know that you've heard you're, you're probably, you know, you probably have, some guys that you're accountable to that you kind of sure run do. with and you say, Hey, tell me the truth. You know, here's a, here's another thing an older dad can tell a younger dad. And that is the more successful you become Dustin. And man, I am excited about your new book. Um, I would, I know, would ask you, would you, would you be willing to write a forward? I would love if you would write a forward, it'll be out in a couple well, of months, but I'm going to be honored. Let, Let's talk about it. Cool. And, and I, you know, because I'll be ordering it. I'll be pre-ordering it on <laughs> Amazon tonight. You, you, but, you're inspiring. Here is, here, is a, here is just a thought. 
you know, from a from an older guy to a younger guy. When you when you look at all this stuff that is going on around you, you really do have to understand that there is a potential. There is there there are answers there that you can reach, and there is a deeper understanding that you can reach. You can go to the bottom of the pool while everybody's living on the surface and plant your feet on the foundation of the pool and have a lot more power moving around than anybody splashing on the surface. You know, on the surface, most parents are going, yeah, we just want to raise great kids. You know, that's our life. We're, we're just determined we're going to raise great kids. We're going yeah. to raise great kids. And man, you know, it's a cliche. Mm-hmm. Now, with every race, every religion, every uh, political party, it's a cliche that somebody has three kids and two of them, you know, are rocket scientists and one of them ends up on death row. And so sure. just like, what happened? We raised yeah, them in the we, same We put them in the best schools. I mean, we were. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here, here is what happened. I tell you in a nutshell what happened. And this is something you want to know as a young dad. I'm writing and this that down. that is. Everybody out there is going, yeah, we want to raise great kids. Yeah, we're just trying to raise great kids. We're trying to raise great kids. And, you know, sometimes I talk to people with problems to see, you know, that's that's what your issue is right there. Because you're not thinking to the bottom of the pool. And you're saying you want to raise great kids, and you don't really want to raise great kids. What you want to do is raise kids who become great adults. Well That's said. two different things. They're completely separate. You, know, I mean, I, you can make you can make them be great kids as long as you're in my house, but you make them be great kids. But that's not what you want. Yeah. You love them so much, you want them to understand something long after they get away from you. Yeah, you, you got that right. Now, I also did, now you, I don't know if you know but my bio, uh, I did uh, a little less than a year at a, a seminary, a Bible college, and one of the things that always surprised me was that people wait for heaven. Now, they, they talk about heaven. And I look at enlightenment as being its own form to say, well, but if you were given all these gifts, and if you don't know what they are, well, you can think, you can use that Ferrari in your brain, or you can talk, or maybe your story will inspire somebody else, will help them in their journey. That for enlightenment, it starts with looking at your weaknesses, looking at the worst of you, uh, looking at the things that keep you up at night. And I think that we do relate to people better on our weaknesses and not our strengths. So how did you come up with the significance of of seven decisions, you know, from a comedy side, not six, not nine, not 15. I mean, seven, seven's an interesting number. What made you desert, decide on that? You know, I hadn't been asked that in a long time, but I'll tell you, the answer is I found seven. And if I'd have found eight, it would have been the eight. <laughs> it's that simple. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was be like, well, Dustin, here's what we're like. That's, yeah. so that's how you came to it. Seven. Yeah. I mean, I had, se- I had those seven, 15 years before I, 20 years before I ever thought about writing a book, you know, I was, I was actually, you know, I used to do some other stuff and I was actually with Kenny Rogers one time on his bus and I was touring with him. I was an opening act. Wow. That's quite a, that's an amazing journey you've been on. It's, it's been fun. But I, I was talking to Kenny about these one night, these seven things I'd found, you know, that I figured out and, and he was telling me about growing up in a garage in Houston with 150 brothers and sisters or whatever it was. And, and I'm telling him these things, and he's listening intently. And he says, you know, you need to start talking about the, these things on stage. And I said, in my show? And he said, yeah. 
And I said, Kenny, they aren't funny. He said, yeah, I know. Well, you, you're, you're a talker. So just transition. And just I said, them. so just be, be, be funny, then be serious. He said, yeah. And then be funny again. <laughs> and go back. And yeah. And so I said, I, then I asked the big question. I said, you want me to do it in your shows? And he thought for a second, he said, yeah, yeah, do. Uh, that's trust. And so I, I started do, doing those. He's just doing like four or five minutes in a, in a 30 minute set. But talking about it, and then people started coming out and asking me about them. And then some companies started saying, hey, you know, come, we want you to come to our company and talk about these seven things. You, you know, be funny, too, but just we yeah, want these seven things. We want things. the secrets. Give us a, how do we get through this thing called life? Because life's tough. <laughs> That's exactly right. You know, I, I, so, I, I look at, you know, forgiveness. I struggle with forgiveness. I talk about it on a number of our shows and episodes. You know, being left in foster care. Uh, it's trauma. It hurts. It's painful. And even as you become an adult... There's this great lie that people have that, that what you remember, the worst memories you have during childhood, well, they don't follow you. Well, in fact, you know they do. These moments that these moments we struggle with, and forgiveness is, is one day at a time. What have you learned about forgiveness? You, know, you have your own journey, your own path. Yeah, it, it, you know, again, took me a long time, but I, I used to think forgiveness was like a knighthood, you know, something I would bestow on some lucky person. Yeah, like I'm going to give this to you. You get a, a medallion. Yeah. I forgive you. Yeah, you know, I, but but everything I have learned, I, I can't find a single expert or a single book, including the Bible, by the way, to tell me that for one person to forgive another person, that that person has to ask for it deserve it or even be aware that it's happening and so it, it turns out that forgiveness is something that is for us you know i, I mean now, now i know that there is a, a spiritual touchstone there also that many of us understand and believe but i'm just talking about what can you do when you're laying awake at night and everybody's asleep, you're laying awake and you're thinking about that guy and what he said and what you said and what you would have said if you had a second to talk about it. And yeah. if he, then, then he's going to show up tomorrow in that stupid purple bow tie and you'll grab him, <laughs> you'll have him right there. And I mean, this guy's all across town sleeping peacefully, yeah. unaware that you're even been out of he shape. He doesn't know he took your piece away and yet your piece is gone. That's right. And you can actually choose to forget forgiveness is a decision it's not an emotion we treat it like an emotion that's why it drags us around like a dog in a leash but it is it's a decision and and if you you know remember psychology 101 your emotions your feelings follow your decisions it's not the other way around well and so you can decide to forgive now you may have to do it again tomorrow one day I mean, at a time. Crawl all, yeah, it may crawl over you again next week, and you have to do it again or seven times, 70 times, or how many times. But you can forgive. And, and a lot of people say, well, you know what? So they're just going to get away with it? Look, nobody's getting away with anything. I mean, forgiveness is about you. Trust is about them. Forgiveness is about you not letting your past control your future. Trust is about their future. And so so do you forgive somebody who steals from you? Sure. Do you continue to do business with them? No. Do you forgive somebody who lies to you? Yeah. But do you continue to believe everything they say? No. It's, it's a, a decision that you can make, that you can make stick 
that will change your life and free you up forever. Because these people out there that have done something to you and me, they aren't even remotely thinking about us. Wow. That's powerful. I mean, to think about what that means, it's, it's that it starts with us, not the other way around that we want the other person one day to say, look, I, I know what I did and I know what it caused you. And you know, the old don't tell somebody to feel what they don't, don't feel what you feel. They'll never feel what you felt. They don't know. They'll never understand what, what that betrayal or what that deception. And that's the problem is if you don't let it go, it will destroy you. It'll just be another wound that you carry with you. Imagine. So every summer I start to do a little bit more cardio. I do less bodybuilding and I feel lighter. I mean, I dropped, I think, uh, eight, 10, eight, nine pounds. And now I think about forgiveness that if I don't forgive, I carry 10 more pounds with me. I feel heavier that every yeah, single please. one of those becomes a little bit heavier. And so when we talk about a decided heart, what does that term even refer to? A decided heart will, will allow somebody to, to move forward without the baggage of, uh, of, of, over, it, it will allow somebody to move forward without the baggage of excess analysis, right? You know, I, I mean, it is crazy in our world today yeah. with the technology. You know, analysis has become its own job. You know, there are people who they analyze stuff for a living, and you know, dang it, they will keep analyzing as long as you pay them. But you got to understand there is a purpose to analysis there's a reason for analysis and that reason is to come to a conclusion and so you know i think when we're talking about decided heart more people fail at what they do because of an undecided heart than for any other reason you know they'll decide something and then they'll think should i have done that and they'll talk to their friends and their family and they'll take the decision back and then they talk to their friends about whether they should have done it or stayed with it and they'll do this decision again and by the time they fail you know, what they blame it on is everything but themselves. Yeah, the guy, well, others did it and I go, well, so you're a volunteer victim. You're, yeah. you're allowing reality, yourself to be victimized. You, yeah. And in reality, you, you just didn't have, you analyzed things so much, you didn't have the energy to actually do what you said you had decided to do. Yep. And you cannot possibly know, you can't possibly get enough of the facts to make a right decision every time, but you can gather enough facts to make a decision and then move forward and adjust on the fly and make that decision work. You don't drive anywhere that, you know, if, that you don't run into a traffic jam or a, a detour. And of course you don't go, well, I didn't know it's going to be like this. If I didn't know there's going to be a traffic jam, I would never even start it. Yeah. I'm just, I'm never coming out again. Well, yeah. you know, come on. Don't be stupid. Yep. And that's what people do with their own lives. That's that's exactly what people do. I, I know I've fallen victim to making myself the victim. And you've talked sure. you've talked about burning the boats as a measure of personal commitment. Wow. Yeah. I mean, know, what a, a what a great analogy. Burning the boats. It's an amazing story you know, that happened. You know, five hundred years ago with Cortez when he was headed in to you know take the treasure of the Aztecs and. You know, conquering is not something we think about today, but it was practically a job title back then. It was. And, yes. and so, you know, there were a lot of people that tried to conquer that thing, and a lot of people had gone in and come back, and they tried to get the gold, and they couldn't get the gold. 
And the long story short is when they got on the beach and, you know, he gathered them around and they thought he was going to give them, you know, hey, you know, if, if it gets tough, meet me here at this coconut tree and we'll get out of here. Or yeah, whatever, we'll just quit. Whatever. We'll, we'll just leave. Yeah, but he told them, he said, hey, burn our boats. And he had them torched. And, you know, these people were like, no, wait, what? And he said, burn the boats. He said, if we're going home at all, we're going home in their boats. Well, you know, they really fought well. Yeah. <laughs> and for the, you know, for the first time ever, they took the treasure. And and so, you know, the analogy is, what, what are the boats in your mind that are still floating the excuses that are keeping you from getting what you say you want? Wow. I mean, storytelling, just hearing what has happened in the past to learn from it, you've become quite the historian. You know, using these stories to motivate people and convey information and the advice that comes along with it. It starts with you learning. So how does how does someone out there listening right now where they're inspired by this, they want to go to the next step, how do they find the right book for them? Obviously, we're going to tell them about yours. Uh, but where do they start? I mean, some people, they're unfortunately they've been indoctrinated, the iPad or, or the TV or Netflix. Reading is something that's so powerful, uh, something that is in your hands. It is, and... And, you know, I, I know just like, you know, I mean, we run into people a lot of times who say, yeah, I just don't, you know, read or yeah, I, I decided when I got out of college, I would never read. Uh, hear it, unfortunately, I've heard it quite a few times that they've given that yeah. up. Um, and so people, yeah. people will say, basically, you know, I don't like to read. And, and I thought about that for a long time. I, I thought, I don't like to read, you know, and that is their reality. And of course you can't tell somebody, okay, well, you know, cause I've had people say, I don't like to read. I know I should. And I know that it, it's what will get me to where I need to be, but I just don't like to do it. I just won't do and, it. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the surface level, you know, a lot of people on the surface of the pool will tell them, you know, stop telling yourself you don't like it and start telling yourself you do like it. And so, you know, while that advice may have some value, to the most part, this person is going, okay, I do like to read. And then, you know, th that little voice in their mind goes, yeah, but you really don't. I mean, I mean yeah. right? Yeah. It's, I it's, mean, it's, not, how'd you know? That's, that's actually the way I think most of the time. Right. And yeah. so that's not, it, there's no change there because there's got to be some information. There's got to be something that clicks and makes sense. And so I thought about this forever, Dustin, and here's what I finally came up with. I said, I, I started asking people, you know, how many of you don't like to fish? You don't like to fish. And, you know, tons of people raise their hand. And I said, really? I mean, you're telling me that you can stand on the end of a dock with a kid and, and you got a pole in your hand and that bobber starts wiggling. And that kid goes, oh, 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 look, look, yeah. we're getting a bite. And that bobber goes under and he says, pull, pull. And you, you're pulling the kid's screaming and you get the fish on the dock and everybody, you, you're telling me you don't like that? And people yeah. go, well, I like that, but I don't like all that. And I said, oh, so you don't mind fishing. You just don't like to wait. Okay, well, I don't like to wait either. Now, you go fishing with me, we're not going to wait. Because if we don't catch you fish there, we're moving to another place where we'll catch fish. I don't like to wait. Now, you're saying you don't like to read? My guess is you have read some books that were so boring 
that somewhere in your subconscious, you just kind of connected that this is the way all books are. And, and so let me tell you what I want you to do. Just find something interesting. Find somebody or some author or some book that doesn't bore you to tears. There's a connection. And you, yeah. And if you read five pages of it and you don't like it, throw it away and get another one. And I said, I'm not saying you need to read my books to succeed, but I am saying you better read somebody's books. Yeah. Find somebody that doesn't bore you to tears. Well, I like that. Well, you're not going to bore anybody to tears. So tell us about the book, uh, Bottom of the Pool. Yeah. And I'm not very book. good at swimming, so I really want to understand the pool analogy. Hey, dude, that sounds like, doesn't it sound like a horror movie? <laughs> it the does, like the bottom of the pool. Wasn't there an M. Night Shyamalan movie about that? I don't know, man, but it's, <laughs> I know it sounds that way. But, you know, when you, when you see the subtitle, then, okay, well, you understand. Because yeah. the subtitle is... is uh, thinking beyond your boundaries to achieve extraordinary results. And so for a number of years, I worked out this material with some companies uh, that I was, they were my clients and, and there were three of them that actually had such unbelievable results with it that they actually contracted me not to put the material out within their industry. Wow. And so they want to arm I, the competition. I, yeah. I mean, it was, it was funny signing those contracts. Cause it's like, no, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. I'm a speaker and I'm being I'm, paid not to speak. I'm this not is allowed. Good, this right? is not too bad. It worked out to your favor. Yeah. But the, the concept is this, it's a thought concept. And you know, the story we build it around is that when I was a kid, we used to go to the swimming pool and stay there all day and all summer. And we got sick of Marco Polo and atomic water ball and blue Rover, which is just like red Rover, except you do it in the water. Mm -hmm. And we got sick of these games and we started making up our own games. And one of the games was dolphin, you know, flipper was going on then. And mm -hmm. the game was you get in the deep end of the pool and try to see how high out of the water you can get like flipper. And, you know, one guy always won. He was older than us. He had bigger feet and bigger army, and he always won. Until the day, my best friend just, like, destroyed him. You know, he, he had won he so many him, times. Huh? It's one of those moments. He dethroned him. Yeah, it was unbelievable. It was like, it was miracle on ice. It was the it was the Oklahoma <laughs> uh, 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 Boise State game. It was just unbelievable because Kevin... You know, we, most of us had already kind of given up, you know, Aaron Perry beat us every Gabby time. Beaten. Yeah. And so, so one day we're there and we're going, okay, we're going to do this again. So Kevin goes to the middle of the circle and he says, you guys ready? We're like, yeah. He says, are, are you sure? And I was like, just go, go. And instead of going up, like we'd always done, he went down and we're looking, we're treading water and looking and he's all the way to the bottom of the pool, squats down. Then he pushes off that concrete and comes rocketing out of the top. And we're like, Oh my God, we have a new dolphin legend, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and if, you know, of course, really quickly, Aaron and his little toadies are going, you know, you cheated, you cheated. And Kevin's like, okay, where's the rule that says you can't go down before you go up. Correct. And then we all really, okay, well, okay. So, but everybody gets to do it now. Yeah. Well, and, and so it raised the level of performance. So if you look at those kids in that pool, that was the only place in the world Dolphin was being played. No, we it, came sounds like a, game. it sounds like a cool game. I'm going to see if I can, uh, yeah. my, my pool club, get everybody in this next weekend. Say, hey, guys, I got a new game for right. you. A buddy of mine, Andy, told, told me to check it out. Yeah. 
But until, you know, it, it's, the game is a lot like our thought processes in life, because until you get to the bottom, until you think to the bottom, to the foundation of the issue, you can never have the power to, to use it. You know, wisdom is uh, defined as a deep under or a deeper understanding of principle. And so that means that there's a lot of people who understand the principle, but the wise people have a deeper understanding of principle. They sure do. And I, sus and I suspect that the wisest people, when they get a deeper understanding of principle, they realize the only place they can go is deeper. That's right. And they keep, keep thinking it through until they get to the bottom of the pool. And that's where the real answers come. And so there's a lot more to it, but, but it's a, it's a thought process. I, I use this thought process with, you know, one major corporation and it's actually an endorsement on the book, but, um, you know, five years ago, I went to the CEO of a company that in 19 years, after 19 years, they had done 5.4 billion in business. And I had the opportunity to talk to him and I had spotted some stuff about his people, just great people. And I told him, I said, you guys should be able to double your results in a year. And he said, oh yeah, that'd be great, wouldn't it? And I said, well, I'm serious. You should be able to double in a year. And he said, you know, it took us 19 years to get to 5.4 billion. Yeah, big number. And I said, yeah. Yeah, I said, yeah, I know, but you should be able to double in a year. And, you know, we had, you know, more conversations, obviously. And then uh, on January 1st of that year, I signed a contract to actually, and they're one of the companies that, after a little while, actually, contracted me not to tell anybody else in their industry and and so uh, within a year i mean long story short uh one year later on december 31st we had been texting back before watching the numbers and they clicked over to 11.2 billion so wow. in a year and then next year went to 17 billion next year 22 billion and this is a concept that doesn't just work. It just is. It's a it's a different thought philosophy that doesn't just work with companies and teams. It works with families and small businesses. Yeah, I, I, this is kind of weird, but I have actually been, you know, I, I, I it, been a part. I have a little piece of nine college football national championships in a row. Um, wow, that, that's that's quite know, a story. And by the way, you're an alumnus of Auburn, but how come you're such a big Alabama fan? Yeah, you know, I only went to Auburn because I thought I didn't know what to do. I didn't. Everybody said go to college, go to college. Okay, well, I, and so I only reason I went to Auburn is they had a vet school, and I thought, well, I like animals. You <laughs> know, <laughs> it seemed to make sense for you, huh? Yeah, so I thought, oh, I'd be a veterinarian and a taxidermist. Some people can say, any, you know, either way you get the dog back. And, <laughs> and, and so I, I went to Auburn, but I didn't really like it yeah. because I was an Alabama fan. And so I've ended up, um, you know, doing some stuff with that, that football team. And in that string of nine, curiously, is Auburn uh, because they used the traveler's gift that, that whole year. And 
So that was that's the insight, you know. As I hear your story, I, and I, I look at or hear where you've been and the decisions you've made, I I find that in my own life and for people around the world that are listening, that it get you must get to a place where you're tired of being tired, and you can use that as your fuel. You got to go to bedrock. You got to know your story. Andy, you figured out where you were. You knew your story. You knew nobody was going to take you out but you. You were the only one that would pull you out of it. And finding that inner resilience and that code. You know, the seven decisions, I got the list in front of me. The buck stops here. That it starts with you making that decision. Not somebody else having to convince you, an army of yes people around you. But it also takes accountability to seek wisdom from your friends the Sherpas in my life, and I know there are Sherpas in yours, and be a person yeah. of action. And I think that's such a beautiful message that what do you do now with it? And I was at uh, last week, I was blessed to be at some one of my guests uh, that was on the show. I went out to speak at his event, and he brought everybody up top uh, to the top of his home, his beautiful home in the Hamptons. And everybody was watching the sun go down, the sun setting. And I watch him look at the faces. There's 30 people in the room or 30 people out on this deck. And the way he sees the world is, well, everybody's excited here. I'm here. He goes, that's one less day. You have one less day to do something with it. Now that you've been inspired, what will the action plan be? And to have the decided heart. I think that's such a beautiful message that you become firmly planted and your destiny is assured that there is a purpose to your story and that you choose to be happy. Because too many people in life, we get the worst of them. You know, Andy, we had a person on the show. He's a first responder. He is a forensic police psychologist. He gets to see the worst of the first responders. He doesn't get the best of them. He gets after something right. bad has happened. And that you'll greet today with forgiving. You know, your message of forgiveness is something, as I told you, I struggle with it. I do. It is hard. You know, it's one day at a time. And then to persist right. that you will never you will never give up. You will burn those boats, that there is no quitting. And so the final question I have for you is the people that you've met in your life, the people that have helped you on your journey, who's the toughest person that Andy Andrews knows? It could be a couple people. It could be one or two. Who's that person you say, man, Dustin, I wouldn't have made it. Or, man, this person, they keep me going. They've got a story. You know, I, I have met a lot of people and I've had a lot of help, a lot of, um, great wisdom that, that I have been able to employ from other people. But I gotta say right now, the most impressive person, the toughest person I have ever met in my life is a lady named Dr. Barb Primbiesa. She lives in Canton, Ohio, and she she was uh, seven months pregnant about 20 years ago uh, with her fourth child and had been beaten by her husband and was laying in the bathroom, seven months pregnant, mm. had her hand on a bottle of pills, and she said, I do not want to be here anymore. And that baby, whose name is Hannah, by the way, now, 20-year-old, just got married last weekend. Wow. Uh, Hannah, Hannah started kicking like crazy in her belly, and she stood up and looked at the mirror, and she said, I am not 
going to do this anymore, and I am not going to live with my children, uh, you know, in danger and wondering. And so this little lady, uh, she was just kind of a bean counter at a big company that was able to understand some odd math. She was able to understand, you know, Microsoft had sued this company back when these uh, these people you were starting, you know, we know, we all know now that it's wrong for you. You get you get a software and you can't pass it to every cubicle in there. You know, we yeah. know you can't do that. Okay, but back when all this started, nobody really understood you couldn't do that. And so Microsoft was like suing everybody. And everybody was in violation. And there were CEOs that were looking at prison time and they didn't even know what they'd done. Hmm. And and so this little lady was able to figure it out and able to explain easily to them what the problem was and and how, you know, you know, and so they barely understood it. And so when they stood in front of the lawyers, everybody standing in front of the lawyers, this lady, Dr. Barb, she made one comment. She said, you know, at some point, you can't sue everybody. So at some point, you have to educate instead of litigate. And everybody kind of stopped. And she said, I can explain this so that you won't have this problem again. These people don't even know what they did. And so, you know, that kind of calmed things down. Then some CEOs called that CEO and said, what did you do? How did you solve this? And he said, well, he's got, we've got a lady, you know, in filing. And so... She went home, Dustin, and had the foresight because she knew how to do it. She knew how to prevent this. She knew how to teach it. So she started writing it down. And this little lady living in a one-bedroom apartment with four kids had the foresight to call a copyright attorney. And she would never let him come to her house because he thought that she actually owned a company. Hmm. And she had all this stuff where it, it it was copyrighted. And so now she has what's called ITAM, I-A-I-T-A-M dot org or dot com. And, and these, this company she has teaches people to be um, – you know, what is that? What is that? The football guys, they're compliance. They teach these people to be technical compliance officers for major companies, which is a, a, a job title that didn't exist. She made it. This woman, this woman did not create success. She didn't build a big business. She created her own industry. And if you go on that website and you look at her clients right now, it is a weird thing to look at because her clients are Sony, uh, the United Nations, NASA. Her clients are Yahoo, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Apple, and wow. every I mean, big because she's the only game in town. Wow. She has the she has the stuff. It's copyrighted. She has a company that teaches it, and nobody can go anywhere else. It's unbelievable. That is unbelievable. Now I understand why you say she's the toughest. She did something no one else had done before. That yeah. that and takes a toughness. People probably called her crazy. This can't be done. Oh, yeah. 
and continue and continues to live in a way that if you met her, you wouldn't have any idea that there were millions and millions of dollars coming in every month. I was with her you know, last week for that wedding and I, I drove, you know, I rode in her car and she has a, a, a Ford Explorer, you know, Ford, not, not even the high end Ford. She's just, and she, she's just a person that says none of that matters. You know what matters to me? The people in my community, the people in my circle. This. Get this. I went into that their building and I'm in one place and man, you have not seen as many diapers stacked on a wall. And then I go down a little farther and it's uh, crock pots. And then I go down a little farther and it's like uh, 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 paper towels. And then you go down, it's just stuff like that. And, you go, and, I, and I said, what, what is this stuff? And she said, well, I, I understand the couponing kind of thing. And so I spend one day a month and all this stuff I get for free and I just donate it to women's shelters and men's shelters. And uh, so that they don't have to pay for it. But, and I'm looking and it says shampoo. I mean, high brand, you know, stuff, Procter Gamble stuff. I mean, it's shampoo, it's shaving lotion. It's, you know, it, it's women's, uh, you know, products. It's, it's everything. And, and I said, you get it for free? She said, anybody could do this. Hmm. She said, you, you shouldn't ever buy shampoo. Or and I know it's, I mean, it's stunning that she has figured she out, figured it out how to do this. Hmm. And she gives it all to shelters and she spends her time. You know, she's got millions and she spends her time couponing so that she can give all this stuff to these people. She's a stunning. That's, that's a remarkable, woman. truly a remarkable individual. What, what she's been able to do, and she has something that, unfortunately, a lot of people in the world, we've become anesthetized or desensitized, and we don't feel it anymore, is she has empathy, something yeah. that yeah. Uh, many generations are now losing. Well, I have to tell you, uh, Andy, I am honored to have you in my circle. I am honored to have you as my brother. Uh, there are people around the world. Uh, final thoughts you want to give them? Uh, also, uh, please, everybody, go online. And uh, look for Bottom of the Pool by Andy Andrews. With that, I'm going to hand it off to you and your turn. Well, buddy, thank you so much. I appreciate so much the, the time and uh, what you're doing for people and the time you spend preparing. And, and I, I, you know, I'm honored to be included in, in this. And I, I, I'm serious. I'll be pre-ordering your book. And, and so I just... You know, I would I would love to keep up with people. And if anybody wants to just kind of put your email address in andyandrews.com, I promise not to bug you, <laughs> but we'll kind of let you know what's going on when it's going on. That That is awesome. Well, for those of you that just heard, life's tough, but Dr. Barb is tougher. Thank you so much, Andy. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. You already know life is tough, and running your own business is tougher. You need a financial planner who's tougher. Carl Grund is a financial planner who helps small business owners navigate the market and grow their business through financial strategies. Give Carl a call at 703-287-7128. That's 703-287-7128. Or send an email to cgrund at sfpfinancial.com. That's cgrund at sfpfinancial.com. 
to learn how Carl can help you get tough on business. Securities and advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. So that wraps up our show for today. Thanks again to Andy Andrews for making this another outstanding episode of our Life's Tough podcast. And thanks to you, our amazing audience, for making the Life's Tough podcast one of the most relevant and fastest-growing shows in the world. Also, special thanks to my dear friend, Gerald Levin, Life's Tough's cheap writer, and my Sherpa. And also special thanks to Alston Carlisle Studio. The stories we all hear are as varied as the people who tell them. It's impossible to discount the impact of any one singular experience. Every story has a purpose. And as you heard on today's episode with Andy Andrews, I ask you to use your story to empower others. Your story may be just what it takes to help someone in your circle or in our community or under a peer to get through a tipping point moment, an instance when that person either chooses to continue to be a victim or where that person finds the strength to transcend a particular situation. Please subscribe to our show. Visit lifestuff.com and be sure to join us every week, same time, same place, for a stimulating hour of heartfelt discussion. Remember, everyone has a story, and every story has a purpose. Life's tough. You could be tougher. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. So for the entire Life's Tough team, this is Dustin Planelt signing off. Remember, life's tough, but Dr. Barb is tougher. Thanks again, everybody.